Luke tells us in his gospel that on the, the very day of the resurrection, Jesus expounded the law and the prophets and the Psalms to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. In fact, we know that he spent about 40 days with them after the resurrection, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And this means that the church's understanding of the Old Testament goes back to the risen Jesus himself. And we can be virtually certain that in his time with the disciples, he addressed this very psalm, Psalm 16, which is our text this morning, Psalm 16. The reason we can assert this is that later, Peter, in the very first Christian sermon ever preached at Pentecost, cites this psalm at some great length. And then the Apostle Paul, shortly after that, preaching in a synagogue at Antioch, cites this text as well. And so this text, Psalm 16, was crucial in the minds and hearts of the early church as a witness to the risen Christ. I want to look at the text under three headings this morning. Three headings. The first is delighting in God. And the second is delighting in our inheritance. And the third is the delight of Christ. Delighting in God, delighting in our inheritance, and the delight of Jesus Christ himself. So first, delighting in God. You have an opening statement in the psalm where David seeks refuge in the Lord. And we see in the rest of the psalm really just what it means for us to take refuge in God. That's a common Christian phrase, take refuge in God. The Lord is our rock, our fortress, our refuge, our defense. Well, what precisely does it mean to take refuge in God? Psalm 16 unfolds that. He says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. He's affirming that his complete welfare, his well-being, is totally bound up with God. He's not saying, he's not saying that he enjoys no good things except for God. What he is saying is that he enjoys no good things apart from or separated from God. So he's saying not a single breath, not a drink of water, not a piece of clothing, not an inanimate object can be rightly and fully enjoyed apart from God. Apart from you, I have no good thing. There's an echo of the same thing, same sentiment in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven beside thee, and there is nothing on earth that I desire apart from thee? So there's an affirmation at the outset of the psalm that the psalmist is not going to worship. 
He's not going to seek to squeeze enjoyment out of the goods of creation apart from a focused affection for God Himself as His chief central delight. The God who is the giver. The giver of all good gifts. Now, in doing this, we have to be careful not to pit the giver against the gifts. I almost titled this sermon, God and All Things in God. Because that's what this text is about. Delighting in God and therefore delighting in all things in God. That's the vision of the Christian life. Whatever twisted or distorted visions there are out there in the culture about what Christianity is and what the Christian life is, it's hard to do better than saying the Christian life is delighting in God and in all things in God. That vision is meant then to induce delight. Right? It's our firm conviction that God is not an abstraction, but that the The triune God is a fountain of delight and an overflowing fountain at that who gives us all good things to enjoy in and with himself. You know, we're having a discussion, I think it was last week in the new members class about this question of gifts and givers and rewards and motivations and the like. And... I used an illustration. I said, imagine a situation. You're a parent and you set out with your spouse or what, and you go and you get a bunch of toys for Christmas for your children. And you're very careful. You select everything that you know that they love and delight in and that they want to surprise and amuse and delight them and thrill them. And you get all the toys set out under the tree on Christmas morning. The children wake up from bed. They come downstairs. They take a quick glance at the toys and they run over. They jump on your lap. And they say, oh, mommy and daddy, I don't want the gifts. I just care about the giver. No, no, we've got all these toys for you under the tree. We don't want the toys. I just want to love you I just want your affection. Yes, but we bought you all this fire truck and all this other stuff. No, no, no. I just care about the giver and not the gifts. Right? There'd be something wrong with those kids (laughs) and wrong with the parents who taught the kids about the relationship between gift and giver. Apart from you, I have no good thing. But in you, I have all good things. See, genuinely delighting in the gifts of God is a form of delighting in God. Right? The child goes back to the tree, tears the presents open, starts having some fun and exhilaration, and the parents are thrilled. Right? This is one of the ways we bring delight to God, is we delight in the goods He bestows upon them as His gifts. So this affirmation then, God And all things in God is extended. In verse 3, the text says, I say of the holy people, or the saints, who are in the land, they are the noble ones, in whom is all my, and here's the word again, delight. Because God is His chief delight, He affirms this extraordinary delight in the church, in the saints that are in the earth. 
He calls the church, warts and all, the noble ones. He even goes on and says that the people of God are all His delight. You see, delight is not a zero-sum game. You take no delight from your parents by delighting in the gifts they give you. In fact, you add to it. So the same psalmist can say, God is my chief delight. I have nothing apart from God. And then at the, in the next breath say, all my delight is in the saints. Delight is not a zero-sum game. To cleave with God to delight is to delight in His people. There's no love for God that doesn't translate into a love for the church. The church is God's holy bride, His treasured possession, which we're likewise to treasure. In fact, after Christ Himself, the church is God's chief good gift to us. And so, the psalmist affirms his delight in the church. And he continues negatively in verse 4. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods. Here he says, I'm not going to engage in pagan worship or in their sacrifices. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord, that cup, the blood of the new covenant, and drink the cup of demons. And so delighting in God means delighting not only in His people, but delighting in the purity of God's worship. Delighting in God means keeping the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second commandment. You shall not bow down to any graven image. And so what the psalmist is doing, he's renewing his total, exclusive, covenant loyalty to God, to God's people, to God's worship. That's what we're doing. Every Sunday in public worship, we are renewing our covenant bond with God, but also with His people. And this is to be for you, it must be for us, the renewal of our delight. The source of our delight. Our delight in God and thus all things in God. So that's delighting in God. Let's, secondly, let's look at the psalmist's delight in his inheritance. The language in the psalm in verses 5 and 6 is drawn from the allotment, the, uh, the, the dividing up of the promised land under Joshua. You find words like this, portion, lot, boundary lines, inheritance. Verse 5, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The church is God's portion, but He is also our portion. God is our lot, our allotment, our treasured possession. Look at verse 6, that language, that allotment language from Joshua continues, and it says, the boundary lines, the boundary lines... Remember, all the tribes had their property divided. They had boundary lines. He says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely, surely I have a delightful inheritance. So here he is referring to the Lord himself. You are my lot. 
and also to the wonderful gifts God's apportioned out, allotted to each of us, even as he apportioned out land to Israel. And he says, my inheritance is pleasant. My inheritance, my allotment is beautiful. Our allotment is pleasant and beautiful because the Lord is our portion. He supports our lot. He pours these good gifts into your life for delight, for enjoyment, to induce gratitude. Now, life is, to state the obvious, difficult. And for nearly everyone, it's full of bitter setbacks. It's full of heartbreaking disappointment and losses. And there's none, there's no ignoring of that in this text. I mean, David's the writer of this text. And of all things, he knew how bitter and difficult life could be. But he still affirms that in God himself and in his goodness to us, especially in his saints and in his worship, we all have this pleasant and delightful inheritance. You know, your family inheritance is, is always difficult. It can be mixed. It can, be, it can seem like it's more of a curse than a blessing in some families. And David had bitter, bitter, bitter family troubles. But what he affirms here is that Israel's inheritance, the covenants, the law, the land, the future glory, that is your inheritance in Jesus Christ. This community, the Holy Scriptures, the sacraments, the worship of God, the opportunities to serve in the mission and ministry of the church, these things have been allotted to you. They've fallen out to you so that you can say, I have this pleasant inheritance. The lines have fallen out to me in pleasant places. All of Israel's inheritance and riches are yours in Jesus Christ with the coming future kingdom in glory. So that it is in the midst, it is in the middle of the travail of life that we affirm with David, the Lord is our portion and our cup and the lines have fallen to us in pleasant places. We all have, we all have this delightful inheritance. Third, I want to look at the, the delight of Jesus Christ himself. And here we come to the part of the text that the apostles cited in the early church. Verse 8, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And this security is described further as my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body or my flesh will rest secure. And verse 10 is, is critical to see the depth of the security that's in view here. You will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your holy one or your faithful one see decay. Now here we can see why Peter and Paul cited this passage. Because the security that's promised here is simply too strong to be referred to David alone. This is the security of conquering death, 
of not undergoing corruption in the grave. The speaker in Psalm 16 is raised from the dead. And the apostles pointed out that not only did David die, but his tomb was with them down to this very day. David underwent corruption in the land of the dead. And so here we see that it is Jesus Christ who is the chief subject, the fulfillment of all the promises in this text. He was raised. He did not see corruption. And this is the ground of your security. Because he was raised, you shall be raised. He is the man of Psalm 16. The perfect covenant man who delights in God, who delights in his worship, who delights in his saints. And it is thus the risen Christ. It is the risen Christ who speaks in this text. You see that in verse 11. He says to the Father, You make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. This is the risen Son speaking to God the Father. And he says, At your right hand are eternal pleasures. You know, Sometimes I struggle with this idea that Jesus is in great delight and joy at the right hand of God when the world is in the midst of so much anguish. Perhaps some of you have had these thoughts. I can tell you this. The scriptures are unequivocal about this. Jesus is full of compassion. He is near to us in our distress. He's underneath our sorrows. But He is risen. His body is transfigured. He's in glory and he dwells in light and life and joy and everlasting delight at the hand of God. And his life is the substance and this fading world is the vaporous, shadowy dream. And it will go a long way for us to understand the significance of the resurrection when we can take the whole of human history and our lives and our anguish and recognize that Jesus Christ lives and that must define this. This can never define that. He lives at the right hand of God and eternal pleasure. It does not mean he's not full of compassion or tenderness or nearness to human suffering. But he's risen. And from that right hand flow pleasures, rivers of delight down to you and I. He imparts his delight to us. And so the picture here is finally one of total human delight in the delightful God. That's what Psalm 16 is about. God and all things in God. God, no matter how trite it might sound, does in Christ want to make you happy, blessed, full of delight. There's no need for us to pit the glory of God against the well-being of His creatures. The glory of God is primary to be sure. But a large part of how God glorifies Himself is that He bestows glory and beauty on His beloved creatures. Glory, by the way, like delight, is not a zero-sum game. God is glorifying us. The great second century church father, Irenaeus, said the glory of God is the human person fully alive. 
It's one of my favorite quotes. The glory of God is the human person fully alive. The psalmist would agree with that. The whole of our delight is summed up in these words from Psalm 36. Listen to this this companion psalm. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, which we are about to do here and are doing now, I pray. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. As that that wonderful hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, puts it in its last line, Fading are the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys, lasting treasure, only Zion's children know. God and all things in God are yours in Christ. Delight yourself then in the risen Lord, the giver of all good gifts. Amen.